Beamer Tire and Auto Repair, now with three locations across the triad in High Point, Greensboro, and our new location in Kernersville. Beamer Tire and Auto offers full-service auto repair, all tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no-appointment-needed Quick Lube Shop. Check out their thousands of five-star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Visit us on Facebook or at BeamerTire.com. This should be played at high volume. Vickers blocking his teammate. White flag this time. One to go. He's got to block two teammates to win it though. One and He's wide. Way up high and takes the white flag. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Pit Stop here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman filling in for James Wilson alongside Landon Judy. Landon, we had a bit of an interesting Sunday out in wine country. The first NASCAR race in the state of California in 468 days certainly did not disappoint. It didn't, Brett. Happy to be here. Um, enjoy the show. Love being on. And we did have a really interesting race in wine country. It was so good to see the cars back in the state of California. And I'll tell you, it was just action upon action upon action that we had at Sonoma. It's really interesting um, to see Kyle Larson again dominant. Um, you know, dethrones Chase Elliott. Um, he gave um, more throttle and less braking in the turns, and it just kept him in front of Elliott all race long. You know, it just it was really interesting to see how quickly Larson got to the front and stayed there all day. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and that's that's something I wanted to talk about. Was the the road course king had, was dethroned once on Sunday, but something that. Larson did that not a lot of other people have been able to do on a road course against Chase Elliott is outbreak him. And as we talked about, there's only two places that you can really pass at Sonoma. That's turn seven and turn 11. But all throughout all 11 turns, Larson, even through the heavier braking zones and through the S's especially, was a lot better than Elliott in those last 15 laps. I agree. He had he just had the magic touch, had the magic touch on the brakes all day long. And it was just really interesting to watch him just just cut through those turns almost like butter, melted butter, and watch Chase Elliott. He wrote he wrote his brakes a little bit more and it was just really interesting to see, you know, Larson outbreak him because Chase Elliott has been the road course king. And, you know, there, there is a legitimate argument, you know, Bob, Bob Parker said it after the race, you know, is there a changing of the guard? You know, it, it is, is Chase Elliott no longer the road course king? Um, you know, to me, I think it's too early to tell. Um, and, we'll, and we'll get into that in, in just a minute. But I just think it's a little bit early. Just wanted to get your thoughts on that as well. Well, yeah, it's too early to tell. Plus, we've got, you know, we only had, you know, two of the what now? or three of the what now, seven road yeah. course races. Mm-hmm. We, we, we've got four left. We still got to go to Indianapolis where the road course where only the Xfinity series has raced. Yep. Um, 
We've still got to go to Road America, where the Cup Series has not raced until the 1950s. We've still got to go to Watkins Glen, which, as you know, is always fun. It is. So, And we've got to go to the Roval as well, which, again, always fun. So, uh, again, I, yeah, I think it's too early to tell if he's been... He was dethroned once. He hasn't been dethroned permanently yet. But I think there's a changing of the guard at Hendrick. I'll say that. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's, you know, I, I was just reading some of the reports and I know that some people, you know, say that, you know, Rick Hendrick, you know, with um, Kyle Larson in that car, he's laughing all the way to the bank because he knew he knew that there was something in Kyle Larson that he still had a lot of gas in the tank, took a chance on him. And, you know, he's definitely the hot hand right now. Um, I And I, I'm going to disagree with you on this. I don't think that there's been a changing of the guard just yet. I think that Chase still has a lot in the tank for this season, and I think that he—I think he's gonna—I think he's gonna surprise some people. You know, with four with four more road courses this year, I think that he's gonna—you know—he could potentially work with Kyle Larson. You know, to say, hey, how, how are you doing this? Or you know, work with the team and, and do a little bit different with you know chassis and work on the braking. And and, and it's been really hard because there, you know there's been no practice. I mean, there's been no practice. Qualifying's are you know a random draw and it's just going to be really interesting to see, but I'm, I'm going to push back on that and say, I don't think there's been a changing of the guard, but I think that it's coming really quickly. If Larson keeps staying consistent, like he has. Well, look at the experience level of Larson and Elliot versus Byron and Bowman. Larson and Elliot have came into the cup series at exactly the same time. Um, Bowman came in in a pinch uh, a few months into that 2016 season. Um, but Byron didn't come in until 18. Right. And the other three guys got wins before Chase Elliott did. That's not to say that, you know, Chase Elliott hasn't been knocked off his pedestal, but I guess what I mean by changing of the guard is that the last year, year and a half, Jimmy Johnson wasn't even the guy to beat at Hendrick. He was the old guy. Yep. He, he was the elder statesman. Um, Chase Elliott was on the top of that four driver pedestal. Now, I guess what I'm saying is the changing of the guard is that things have evened out to the point where it's a lot like we had in, in, in the mid two thousands, um, when Kyle Busch came into the five car and was consistently running top five, top 10, Brian Vickers was having good runs in the 25 car, but it was the 24 and the 48 that were consistently at the front now it's the 5 and the 9, and at times the 24 and the 48, which both were taken out by an unfortunate set of circumstances in turn 11 on Sunday. Yeah, I want to I want to get to that. Holy smokes, Corey LaJoy later in the, later in the show. But. Fr friend of the, let's talk about it now. Friend of the show, Corey LaJoy, what in the heck happened over there, buddy? You know, it, 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 just, it just smacked the field. You know, look, I listened to the radio active, and, you know, um, Eric Jones in that 43 car said it best. I don't know. WTF7. He just cleared everybody out. I mean, he was playing dominoes with half exactly. the field. Exactly. <laughs> he was playing dominoes with half the field. I, I, don't, I don't know. I couldn't quite tell on, the, on any of the replays if he got punted or if he just lost it, if he got loose, if he, you know, the brakes locked up, I have no idea. But as you well know, when you spin out in that turn, there's not a whole lot of places to go around him 
because there's barrels to the inside of the turn and there's a wall to the outside of the turn. You're you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And you know what that reminded me of? It reminded me of one of my favorite Family Guy clips of how much how much signal I need to turn to get across eight lanes. <laughs> I no. turn now. Good None? luck, everybody I turn else. Now. None. I mean, it was just he just yeeted that field, and it was just it was just I was like, wow. I mean, oh, there, Byron was running top ten all day. Kevin Harvick was probably having one of his better runs of the year, yeah. and what's been a really down year for him. He got caught up in that. Mm. Bowman did. Eric Jones was running well. He got caught up in it. Ross Chastain had damage. Ross Chastain was probably having his best run of the season. Yep. I mean, it not only took out, you know, contenders, it took out guys that were having down years that we expected to be good in Harvick and Chastain, took them out of content- contention for a top 10 finish. Yeah, and, and both, and, you know, t- take a look at Ross Chastain and, and take a look at um, Kurt Busch. I mean, Chip Ganassi Racing had a solid day. A, they had a probably, solid they're, day. They're one, of, one of, if not their best day of the year to this date. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think that Ross Chastain is up and coming. I think that we haven't seen his best. I think we haven't seen his best yet. But he had he had a day, and then Corey was just like, he just he smacked Phil. And, you know, front of the show, I was like, wow, I don't, I don't know what he was thinking there, but – you know, fan, fans, listen to the radioactive. It, it's it's very entertaining to see how, you know, he just decided to, you know, turn that car and have fifth turn 11. It was it was really interesting. But, and to that point, it did open the door for Kyle Larson to come in and just remain dominant. That it did. And here's the thing, for me at least. So much can happen in that one turn that can change the complexion of the race. Yeah. Chase Elliott was not necessarily running away with it, but had pulled away from Kyle Larson. Right. Larson on that restart, and then we had the caution with Quinn Half that forced us into NASCAR overtime. Yep. Kyle Larson took full advantage of those two cautions, and as we talked about, outbraked Chase Elliott through those areas of the track, and you could see where Chase was overdriving it, so to speak, to try and run him down and ended up, uh, not executing on what he does best, and that's utilizing the rumble strips. He ended up going over them and into the sand a few times, and that lost him half a second to a second at a time. Yeah, definitely on those back, definitely on those back parts of the track, he was definitely overdriving it, and you know you could hear you could hear Clint and Jeff on on the on the national broadcast, you know, say, "Wow, he's he's kicking up some dust." I mean, you know, he's 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 off the track. Like it, it was, it wasn't, it just wasn't you know, Chase Elliott on a road course. He did, it just almost felt like he was driving, you know, too aggressively. It was almost like, you know, it was almost defensive because he's like, you know, I have to come up and I got to go. I got to go. I can't, I can't hit the rumble strips. I can't, you know, hit, hit the turn that I want to go to. And you could tell he was gassing it too much. And then he, and then he had to break too much. And I just think Kyle Larson just had the, the perfect, you know, stop start and in those turns and he just kept rolling with it. You know, it was just really fascinating to watch you know, and, and see how that worked. But yes, I agree. Kyle Larson took advantage of those restarts. He, he took off, took off like a rocket every time. And, you know, Chase just couldn't, Chase just couldn't get it done. Yeah. And look, as I said, that's something that Chase Elliott has been able to utilize very well, that not a whole lot of other people, not a whole, not a whole lot of other guys on road courses are, are able to do. And that is 
utilize the rumble strips to their advantage. That's something that guys like Jeff Gordon, guys like Rusty Wallace, road course king, so to speak, of the past, Mark Martin, but they were able to do really, really well. Uh, Dale Jarrett even really, really did that well at, at Sonoma or Sears Point, as it was at the time. Um, but y yeah, Chase, I think, started pressing there in overtime. And as a result, overdrove it. And that's the best possible thing Kyle Larson could have seen in his rearview mirror was the so-called king of road courses panicking. That's his teammate, but that's the other thing. Hendrick still got a one-two finish out of it, right? But 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 then but then it begs the question: do, do we do we think that do we think that by having Kyle Larson having the dominance that he's had this season, is it rattling Chase's confidence a little bit? I I don't know. See, I think the confidence of Hendrick as a whole has been boosted to a degree, a, a really good amount, right? Because when Byron wins and when Bowman wins at Richmond, that boosts the confidence of everybody else because, and, and Larson wins at Vegas, when everybody but Chase Elliott wins, that boosts the morale of everybody as a whole. Chase Elliott then gets the win at Coda, albeit rain shortened, but... Okay, now all four of our guys are in. Now we could go balls to the wall, so to speak, and drive our hearts out to our heart's content because we're in the dance, right? Right. There's no pressure. Exactly. There's no pressure for Chase to win. There's no pressure for, like there was on Byron last year, to, where he had to win to get in at Daytona, which he did. There, there, There's no pressure on him. There's no pressure on anybody. You're in the dance. Now you could drive the wheels off the thing and basically do whatever you need to do to get top fives and top tens and keep building points. You get uh, a better spot in the playoffs. Yeah, and you know, and those are all good points. I mean, Hendrick Motorsports, like we talked about last week, is is just the cream of the crop this year for this field. And you know, it's 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 almost like it's almost like they're out there just having a good time, just having fun. It's like, yeah, there's no pressure. I'm just driving the car. I don't you know? I don't really need to you know, be a, well, it's nice to run up front, but you know, I, I don't, I don't feel that pressure to win now because you know, all four of our guys are in, you know, and, and already for one full team, you know, of four cars to be in the playoffs, it, you know, just again, just shows the dominance that Hendrick has had all season hats off to Hendrick motorsports for having all of the drivers in the playoffs. And, you know, they're out there just, you know, just having a good time. So you know, it, it might just become a, you know, a friendly, I wouldn't call it a rivalry, but like a, you know, a friendly showing between, you know, who, who can run up front for the most part. And, you know, I think Kyle Larson really has, you know, showed his dominance and, you know, Ch Chase has also showed his dominance too, but, you know, it's just going to be really interesting to see how, you know, how that works and how it runs. So, and, you know, I, I think, I think the other two cars and, you know, uh, Byron and Bowman, you know, they're, they're always threats to win every week. I mean, you've seen, I mean, being a fan of the 24, you know, ha having the streak of consecutive top 10 finishes is, it again, just goes to show how well Chevrolet and Hendrick Motorsports has, has run all year. And that streak would have continued if it weren't for the rain at Coda. It would have been 12 in a row. Yeah. Uh, one of the, one of the things I want to get your thoughts on real quick, um, this is Fox's last race of the season coming up, as we'll talk about it later on in the All-Star race. But 
Jeff Gordon, it's reported, is considering leaving the booth to take a a higher-up role in Hendrick Motorsports, which would allow him to spend more time with his family, which is something that going straight to the booth, he hasn't really had a chance to do since he retired. And the same thing Chad Canals decided to do when he retired, so to speak, was to take that higher-up role. I think Jeff Gordon suits that really well, um, being that he owns part of Hendrick Motorsports to begin with. But um, do you think that's the right move for Jeff going forward? You know, I, I, I think it's I think it's up to Jeff. I think that if Rick and him have been having some conversations on, you know, hey, we, we might have a you know a role for you at Hendrick Motorsports, potentially as an executive, potentially as somebody who oversees the cars, oversees the hiring processes. And Jeff Gordon is a proven winner. He's a proven winner. He's a fan favorite. And him and him and Rick Hendrick are tight. They have a very, very good relationship. And, you know, to see him in Victory Lane with you know Chase Elliott celebrating the celebrating the record breaking win, or celebrating the wins at Coda, celebrating the the win at, at Charlotte to push him past um, Petty Motorsports. You know, it, it just it just goes to show how how good that relationship is. Um, if it, it's going to be up, it's going to be up to Jeff. Um, do I think it's the right move for him? Sure, I think if he wants to do that and spend some time with his family, be more involved in you know, Hendrick Motorsports, and, and like you said, a, a an institution or a, a business that he, a team that he is invested in and is a part owner and works very closely with, um, I, I think this might be the right move for him. Now, I don't know what it means for the booth up at Fox Sports, um, and we will certainly miss him um, in the booth, but I think that if Jeff wants to do this and it makes, you know, logical sense, you know, hey, I get to work with Rick, I get to work with the team that I drove for, you know, for so long, you know, have good, good relationships, good memories, you know, warm, fuzzy feelings. And I get to spend more time with my family and do something that I love and enjoy. Sure. I mean, Jeff Gordon, Jeff Gordon is an ambassador of the sports. He has proven himself in the booth and he has proven himself as a, as a team owner and can work, um, up upstairs at Hendrick Motorsports. So he, he's a jack of all trades. So I think that whatever decision he makes is going to be a good decision, not only for, NASCAR, but for himself and for Hendrick Motorsports. Totally agree. If it makes sense for him, there's there's no reason he shouldn't do it. When we come back, we will talk to the star of Bowman Gray Stadium's opening night here in the Triad. And that's Jonathan Brown. Next. Welcome back to the Pit Stop here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman filling in for James Wilson, joined by the star of Saturday night's opening night at Bowman Gray Stadium, the Madhouse, Jonathan Brown, who took home the victory in the Hayes Jewelers 200 modified main event. Jonathan, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm great. Great, great. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, got to be great off off a victory like that. You, You started 14th. Held off guys like Danny Bone, James Savali, Chris Fleming in front of 17,000-plus back at the Madhouse. Uh, first time in a long, long time. We can say there was a full house there and say there was racing at Bowman Gray. What did it mean to you not only to, to hold off guys like that, but to get that victory in the first race back? Well, it was... uh overwhelming for sure it's i'm still trying to let everything settle in make sure it's real but uh 
you know, you, you named off some pretty big names there to beat those guys, especially after the large break we took. Someone told me it was 22 months without racing there. So uh, that that's a big break. So to come back and win the first one back with, you know, just all the fans there, everybody was pumped up. The energy out of that place was amazing. Uh, it was really, really special. Really means a lot to me to come back, uh, especially on such short notice like we did and, and win that open race. It's great. Is it true that you were able to win it on 15 minutes of sleep? Uh, 50 minutes of sleep. Okay. Ra so Ra Randy, Randy Pettit mistyped that to me. So Okay. <laughs> I got 50 minutes of sleep in 45 hours is what I got. So that was, Did, didn't, that was didn't seem fun. to affect you at all. But it's like, like I said, it's uh, you, you started 14th. You, you kind of kept chipping people off the board as, as you kind of moved up. Um, how important was that last restart there? Um, I think it was lap 139 when you were able to take the lead on it. What what happened on that restart that really kind of catapulted things? So, I think you're referring to the restart with me and Tim Brown in the front row. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. So, so I'll tell you what won me the race. There was a restart there. Uh, a lot of key players went in and, and got tires on lap 91. That was the 04 car. Uh, the one, the four, the 65, uh, the 79, we all come got tires. Actually, I think the 79 may have come a little later, but anyway, we all pitted, we all got tires. And at the time I was running third. Well, these guys, uh, I wasn't expecting anybody to pit that early. We'd already kind of planned on pitting a little early, but these guys rolled into pit. And so here we go. We, we went ahead and followed suit and pitted as well. And so that was lap 91. So that put me having to pass all those guys again. I was already up to third and passed them, but I had to pass them again. So uh, there was a restart there. I'm not sure what lap it was, but I somehow, some way, got by all those guys on one restart. Um, just on the outside, we, we were trucking. We passed, I think, six cars um, on that restart, and they were all key players, all cars that could have won that race at any time. And honestly, that is really what won that race for us because of track position. There's a, like I said, there was probably 11 or 12 cars there that could have won that race, given the right opportunity, given the right track position. But us capitalizing on that restart, capitalizing using the outside line, get past those key players, uh, uh, put put it really put ourselves in a position to win that race. So the restart you're referring to with Tim Brown, you know, Tim obviously, you know. You don't, you don't hear Bowman Gray without hearing Tim Brown's name. So uh, Tim's one of the best that's ever walked in that place. So I knew we I knew we had fresher tires, but that doesn't mean much because Tim's, you know, Tim Brown. He's got a great car. He's really good. He knows what he's doing. Uh, but we rolled down through one and two, and we cleared them up off two. Um, my car was just really driving good. Um, so that was huge. At that, at that point, you know, once I had control of the race, once I was leading, I knew it was up to me then to uh, protect that lead, obviously, not just during the race, but mainly on the restarts, because once we're single file, um, I can pretty much hold my own. My car was as good as anybody. I didn't realize how good my car actually was until like the last 20 laps. But uh, yeah, get, getting the lead there from Tim, that was huge. Um and honestly, at that time, I really wasn't running the car very hard. We was probably running maybe 75% uh, because I knew there was going to be a lot of restarts late. I knew I was really going to have to use some tires late, so I needed to save 
you know, every every little bit of tire that I had, every little bit of tire that I could for the late race three starts. So uh, talk about how important track position is at a track like this, because that's that's something I don't know if a lot of people realize, especially at a 200-lap race where you really only pit once, maybe twice. How important is track position, especially late in a race like that? Right, so track position is huge. I'll, I'll take you back a few years. In 2018, uh, I was racing for the win in the 200, and I did not pit. I did not put tires on the rest of the guys did. Uh, I did not pit, and it ended up causing me to get, get in a wreck right there at the end going for the lead, tearing my car to pieces. So obviously went into the second race of the season with a DNF, just not a good start to the season come around to 2019 same thing we were leading the race uh with six laps to go and i had not put tires on all the guys around me all the guys right behind me had put tires on so on the restart i was pretty much a sitting duck and we ended up you know fighting for the win going three wide getting the right front wheel knocked off and again got another dnf going into the next week with uh that dnf on us so really hinder hinder our season so to come in and win this 200 lapper uh gives us a really huge head start on the points gives us a huge head start as far as team morale and that's huge for us but getting back to the track position so a lot of people that hasn't been to bowman gray um first off you need to come check it out there's there's not another show on earth like it uh the track is really unique in in lots of ways and I've said a lot of times, if you can imagine your average walking tracker on your high school football field, that is what we race around. So there's no banking to lay on. There's there's two grooves, barely. I, I call it a, a, groove, a groove in three quarters, but somehow we fit two cars wide there. But uh, track position is key because even if a man is, say, if you're half a second a lap faster than somebody, it's still hard to get by them if they hold their line, unless you just drive off in the corner and absolutely wreck them or knock them out of the way it's really hard to get by them even if you're way faster uh just because there's no banking to run on you can't just drop to the outside and pass it sounds easy and looks easy from the stands but uh until you're actually down on a track it's hard to believe the actual reality of trying to pass someone there it's, it's super tight uh and a lot of it depends on who you're passing as to how they drive you um whether or not you'll be able to make that pass without obviously banging wheels or nerf bars or getting run the wall or getting run the grass. It's, it's a tough place to race, but also one of the most rewarding places you'll ever race. I totally agree. And if, again, if any of you out there haven't been out there, A, what are you doing? B, get out there ASAP because now, now's a better time than ever because you said however many days without racing there. I can't, I couldn't imagine a Saturday night where I didn't at least consider going there. And the line the other night, um, when I was driving to the ballpark uh, to do, to announce for the Carolina Disco Turkeys, um, I drove past MLK and the line for Bowman Gray Stadium was out onto Martin Luther King Drive all the way down. I I don't know. The line was maybe a mile, mile and a half. Oh, I mean, yeah, it was crazy. For sure. for sure. 
Bowman Gray is one of those tracks that people know it nationwide, even worldwide. We've got friends from uh, fans from Australia, just fans from all over the world. Um, and Bowman Gray is one of those tracks that everybody in America, if you know anything about short track racing or care anything about it, uh, if it's Sunday, everybody's asking who won at Bowman Gray the night before. So it's a very legendary track. And, you know, if you haven't come to see a show there, you definitely need to come see a show there. Um, you know, we've got this bad rap for all we do is wreck each other. And that's not the case at all. There's a lot of other tracks that people wreck each other a whole lot more. We just, uh, we've got that bad rap because we do beat and bang, but you know, it's part of racing around a football field. You're going to get in each other. There's going to be rivalries. There's going to be, you know, the, the rough stuff, but at the same time, we're still a big racing family and we still try at least to race each other as clean as possible. It's just, you know, the the environment we're in, it's just nature nature of the beast, unfortunately. We're going to run into each other sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that that's, that's short track racing, is it not? I mean, and that's what makes it fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. So looking forward to the rest of the year here, we, we know who the contenders are. You talked about it, Tim Brown, the Myers brothers. Where, where do you feel like you and your team fall into that equation? So so here's the thing. There, there's a lot of guys that's really stepped their game up, it's, especially if you can, you know, you factor in everybody's been off. Everybody had a year off to ramp up to, to get their program better, to test, to buy better products, to spend their money more wisely. Uh, instead of having, you know, everybody's coming on a better budget, I feel like, because they've had a year to prep. Um, there, there's a lot of names. There's a guy's, you know, Daniel Beeson, a 44 car, has stepped up his entire game. He's built another car just for Bowman Gray. It's top-notch stuff. Daniel's a great guy, very knowledgeable on his car. You know, I look to see Daniel up front being a contender week in, week out. Uh Danny's talking about, you know, I'm pretty good friends with Danny Bone. He's talking about running most of the races uh, to where he usually only hits a few here and there. Danny will be really good. Danny's smart, very knowledgeable. His dad's one of the smartest people in a modified you'll ever meet. Uh, obviously, the Myers will be, they'll be contenders for sure. Tim will be a contender for sure. Uh, Jeremy Gerster coming from Florida every week now. Uh, great equipment, very knowledgeable, heck of a shoe. Uh, He's going to give it all it's got and and then some. So there's a lot of cars that can win the races. The Flemings, I don't know how much Frank's going to run. I think Chris is going to run them all. You know, those guys, everybody took a break off from racing. Those guys never quit. They work week in, week out on their stuff, trying to make it better. Uh, I think Chris had a fourth or fifth the other night. Just shows you he's going to be there most of the season. Or he's, he's going to be up front most of the season. So uh, there's a lot of cars that can win the race now. It's not just going to be your typical – uh, Tim and Burt show, but I would like to think that, uh, you know, I've got pretty good equipment. I've got a good crew. I've got a, a group of guys behind me right now that are 150% dedicated to us going over here and giving 300% week in, week out. And that moral support from the team means so much. Uh, you know, you, you look at these teams that's won the championships and won the races, and, yeah, the driver plays a big role in that. Equipment plays a big role in that. But if you really get down the nitty-gritty, it comes back to the crew. Uh, 
the, these teams that are that are good championship contenders, everything boils back down to the crew. You've got to have a team that works good together, gets along. Pit stops mean a lot, which so everybody the the flow's got to be good. Everybody's got to do their part, uh, and just be dedicated. So. I feel like we're sitting in a better position than we've been sitting in a really long time. Um, get this first win out of the way. That's always big. Uh, the 200 was the only race I've never won at Bowman Gray, so we got that out of the way. Um, I feel really good about our chances to to win a lot of races and, you know, be a contender for the championship at the end of these races. So uh, I would like to uh, – like to think that my guys myself and my guys we're going to be right up there with, with the best of them forced to be reckoned with for sure i totally agree jonathan brown thanks so much for coming on with us today we really appreciate it good luck the rest of the way at Bowman gray thank you man i really appreciate you having me yes sir thank you when we come back we'll preview the all-star race at texas here on the pit stop Welcome back to the Pit Stop here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman filling in for James Wilson alongside Landon Judy. Landon, that was Fox's last points race of the season, and now we get Fox slash FS1's last race of the season period uh, before we move over to NBC. Uh, Father's Day weekend off, and then we go to Nashville, but... Uh, we got a million dollars to hand out this coming Saturday night in the Lone Star State. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. You know, I, I just I just have been reading the uh, looking at the format, looking at you know the six rounds with field inversions. I I, I love the All Star Race. I think All Star Race is a it's a fun night. It, you know, it's a non points race. It's just you know just come out there just to see who who comes out and has the best car has the best pit stops and has the best pit strategy um you know is is just a test of man and machine and, and you know it's going to be so exciting it's going to be really really exciting uh for me what to expect i'm going to say it's going to have more hendrick dominance texas is a one and a half mile quad oval and the hendrick cars have been dominant on those tracks as of late but i am going to say look at martin trucks jr and kyle bush to threaten though because they have consistently been good on those similar tracks yeah, absolutely. And look, I am 100,000% a fan of what I think NASCAR is going to is is this rotating track model. Because look look, look at all-star games and every other sport, all-star events and every other sport. It's a different site every year. That's what makes it an all-star event. The mindset with the Winston and then the next next tail all-star, sprint all-star, da-da-da-da-da, and then now the all-star race was, okay, it's in our backyard. There's no better place to showcase our best drivers than in our backyard. And I certainly get that. But what made last year so intriguing was it was a Saturday night short track special for a million dollars. This time... It's probably the fastest mile and a half, not named Michigan, for a million dollars. Yeah, you know, I I am totally okay with the rotation. And you you know what NASCAR could do to make this really interesting? The All-Star Race has a driver that gets put in on a fan vote. 
I would love to see a rotation of tracks. Go to a fan vote. Same with the championship. Have it rotate on a yearly basis. It's the same thing at for the MLB All-Star Game, the Super Bowl. It rotates on a yearly basis. I mean, the Super Bowl has a lot of similar places that they go to, but it still rotates. You know, I think it keeps the fans engaged and makes for a really interesting strategy. You know, and then imagine a championship race at Talladega, Daytona, Bristol, or Martinsville. I mean, that would be really crazy. But I do like the format of the all-star race, and I do like the rotation because it, it just keeps things interesting. And, you know, last year when they went to Bristol, I was like, I was licking my chops for that race. It was amazing. And I, I just think that, you know, that, that that tradition, you know, of rotation is good. Now, do I like Charlotte Motor Speedway? Of course I do. Is it in the backyard? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of warm, fuzzy feelings with NASCAR, you know, in North Carolina, the NASCAR Valley, especially in the Charlotte area. But I agree with you, and I like to see the rotation. I think it keeps things pretty interesting. And look, this is a completely new format, too. We're not talking about stages or segments. We have rounds now. Yep. This is a six-round shootout. This is a heavyweight bout, so to speak. It's almost going to turn into a boxing match. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, six rounds, plenty of field inversions. You know, I think it's interesting that the only green flag laps are going to be counted during the race. And I'll tell you what, pit strategy is going to come into play. Whoever has the best pit strategy could pull away with this one. You know, having the high downforce aero package and then having the mandatory four-tire pit stop in segment five. You know, that's really interesting. And one of the questions that I have for you, Brett, and I want to get your opinion on this, does the pole really matter with the field inversions? No, no. absolutely not. Because, look, the first round is 15 laps. Yeah. The, the starting lineup set by random draw. Kyle Larson got the pole by by virtue of the random draw and by winning the race last week. <laughs> yes. Because that, that helps in the random draw, of course. But, um. Fields inverted starting anywhere from 8 through 12. And that is random draw. Round 2, 15 laps. The entire field is inverted after that. Round 3, again the field's inverted 8 through 12. Round 4, also 15 laps. No inversion. Here's where it gets interesting. Round 5... The lineup for round five is determined by cumulative finish from the first four rounds, which means we have to do math with the best <laughs> cumulative finish finisher starting from the pole. Any ties in the aggregate score will be broken up by the following order. I most career all-star wins, <laughs> most career cup series points race wins, or 2021 point standings. Oh, it gets better. All cars must enter pit road for a mandatory four-tire stop during this round. The pit crew with the fastest stop will pocket $100,000. That's the best part. You know what I miss? The pit crew challenge. Guess what? It's back, and this time, it's an actual part of the race. It's bigger and better. You know, I, I know that there have been a lot of fans that have clamored for the pit crew challenge, and I think NASCAR hit it on the money by putting it in the race, involving it on the track, ready to go. I mean, that is so exciting. It's going to be so fascinating to see this. Yeah, you know, I, I think the fan, I think the fans are going to be really excited, and I think it's going to be. I think it's going to. It's, it's a lot to keep up with, of course, but I think it's just going to keep people on their toes, and you know, just 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 keep going. I mean, holy smokes, this is going to be this is going to be fun. You know, I can hear the excitement in your voice, Brett, and I'm right there with you. This is like, this is going to be fun.
it's it's gonna be fun. I I'm going to print out my sheet and I will be keeping score at home. But I, I just I'll tell you what, it's gonna keep me focused the entirety of the race. It is gonna be awesome. I'm so excited. It's gonna be so much fun. Hey, you think we could pull off what we pulled off at the at the six hundred that one year and do it at home and you know jerry wig a couple of Walmart walkie talkies and find find the scanner frequencies? <laughs> yeah, yeah it was that was so much fun. Yeah, you know, I, I I I do own a scanner, and you know, just just hitting the scan and doing a couple of things like that, and you know, just trying to find it. Uh, who who needs a two hundred and fifty dollar trackside scanner when you could go to Walmart buy a walkie talkie for twenty bucks and then us spend eight hours trying to figure out the daggun frequencies mm. and figure it out, and then sit there and turn one. Listen to Kyle Bush yell at his screw for one, two, three, four stages. Kyle Bush on his scanner. I tell you what, say what you want about Kyle Bush. He is the most entertaining driver to listen to on a scanner. He is hilarious. I remember. There is no doubt about it. No I, doubt. No doubt. I, when I went back to Martinsville in 2017, and you know he didn't get that stage when I can't remember who bumped him, but somebody bumped him, and he just started. He just he went off. It was just hilarious. But yeah, it, it's 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 going to be so exciting. And you know who who need who needs the sixty dollars scanner where you can go to Walmart for nine ninety nine, get you a little walkie talkie, hook your headphones up in there, and then just try and play with it. Oh, it was fun. That was that was such a good. That was so much fun. Okay, what one other thing about the All Star race? I want to talk about the the rules package, so to speak. Uh, high downforce package, but the engines will have a tapered spacer. That Some, is the that's the super speedway setup. Literally, mm-hmm. they're putting the big old spoiler on the back for a mile and a half. <laughs> so what? What are we? Are we going to have drafting on a mile and a half? It very, it very well could be. You know, I, I just, I just think that they just, they took, they took the most exciting parts of every track and everything that the fans have clamored for, and they've put it together in this race. It's like a grand spectacle, and I'm so excited to see how. And this that's, works. that's looking at the history of this race. That's exactly what it's supposed to be. Exactly, it always has been. You know, and and look, looking at the history of the All Star event, I've I've got a couple of, I've got a couple of years that have have stood out to me. I'm going to start with 1987. Dale Senior's passing the grass, won the Winston Million over a dominant Bill Elliott that day. And you know, looking at looking at the looking at the win totals, Earnhardt had 11 wins from '86 and '87 to get into that race, which was four more than the second highest driver, which was Tim Richmond, and he had seven wins in '86. You know, going back to '92. One hot night. I mean, one hot night. There you go. Is there a more exciting finish to this race? No. Eddie, Davey, Allison, Earnhardt was almost playing the villain once again with the storybook finish, and it put racing on the lights for good. Holy smokes! Can you imagine an all-star race at three o'clock in the afternoon now? No, I can't. It makes no sense, especially last year when 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 James and I were at Bristol with, with the underglow. Look, I hated the number placement, but that is what it is. The underglow was, oh God, it was so beautiful. Uh, just to see it at Bristol, that was the first race with that many fans back. We got to be a part of it. That was that was something I'll I'll remember for for the rest of my life. And look um, at, and look, just one, right here. yeah, one one other historical note I wanted to touch on. Uh, Two thousand one, it rained on lap one and turn one, half the field wrecked. So NASCAR said, okay, you can go get your backup cars. Jeff Gordon got his backup car out and ran away from everybody else. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! And you know it was really interesting. Ty or Gordon tied tied himself with Dale Earnhardt at that race. 
Um, you know, it just, wow. It's unbelievable how interesting, you know, that, that can be and that, that can, that can work in and, and do, and, you know, going back to the, you know, the under the lights at Bristol, I really think that, you know, Bristol, Bristol has one of the most prestigious night races period. So to see that all-star race back at Bristol is just utterly fascinating. And I, I hope they return and do that again, because that, that sounds unbelievably amazing. And I, I couldn't go cause I was, you know, I was at work and, you know, had a work thing, but you know, it, it's magical memories for life. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, plus that was the, the, to that point, the biggest sporting event in sports with that many people back at that time in, in the midst of the pandemic. But um, I think they need to go back there. This is the only the second time since 1986 that it has been anywhere other than Charlotte when it was at Atlanta in 1986 because that was the original plan was to rotate it. And now we seem to be reverting back to that. I want an all-star race at Darlington. I want an all-star race at Martinsville. As long as you can put it underneath lights, do it. Because we're not doing it in the daytime. Sorry. But everything is bigger in Texas, as they say. And I'm sure that after the race, somebody will drive to the Bucky's across the street and do some donuts <laughs> and also get some donuts. And Texas native James Wilson will probably tell us all about it when he hopefully returns to us next week. Landon, thanks so much for coming on this week. Uh, always fun to have you on here. J-Dub, we miss you. Please come back so you can tell us how awesome Texas is. And we know it'll be awesome Saturday night. Enjoy the All-Star Race. Six Eastern coverage begins on FS1 with the All-Star Open, um, if you know how that works. And then the six-round heavyweight bout for a million bucks in the Lone Star State Saturday night. Enjoy it. We'll see you next week.